this week's episode, we cover everyone's favorite topic in development, test-driven development. That's right, we're talking unit testing, user interface testing, and everyone's favorite acceptance testing. All that and more on this week's Merge Conflict. Frank, I have to admit, as a solo developer, testing applications, whether it's business unit or business logic or UI test, it's just really hard. Uh, well, sole developer, everything's hard. Have pity on us. Yeah, people should have pity on us. Like people ask me all the time, they're like, James, you know, what about UI testing and unit testing and like acceptance testing and like all this stuff, like I need to test. And, and, and then my answer is, yes, you should test. It's very important to test <laughs> and do all this stuff. But me as a solo developer, which I think a lot of our, our listeners are, or some of them are in the enterprise, there's different ways of going around testing. But for me, it's just really hard. Like I need to ship code. I don't know how you are. I just, I just like, I want to ship code. I don't want test code. Uh, I want to test code. I desperately want to test code. I, I love the effects of having tested code. You, you get these little green bars. You can make changes. You know what breaks when you make changes. But um, I, I don't test nearly as much as I should, for sure. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it too, is that yes, I want, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that I don't, I, I, <laughs> I do want tests. I want my code to be super testable and ironproof. And Hey, like every time I commit code, like it's automatically run. And I will say on some of my GitHub projects, I actually have super good coverage, like MVVM hmm. helpers. I have great unit testing helpers. And I think for a long time, a lot of the issues I had around testing came with the tooling is yeah, I use Visual Studio and Xamarin Studio, but you know, do I use NUnit? Do I use XUnit? Do I use MS Test? <laughs> do I use this? And I will say, there's a brand new feature in Visual Studio 2017, which I've demoed before, but was also on stage, which is the live unit tester runner thingy. Have you seen this? Yeah, it looked pretty impressive. So this was a tool that did well. The feature I liked the most was it did like code coverage of your files. So you you're looking at your code. You run your tests, and it marks everything green. We're kind of used to that of all the tests that pass. But while you're looking at the actual code in your application, you get very quick indicators to what your tests actually covered. And so you can see all the sneaky little hidden spots where all the bugs are probably hanging out. Yeah, I really That's like the theory, it. Because- right? That's the theory. Well, and it actually totally works, at least from some of the projects I've tested it in, even in a Xamarin project to to just test the business logic. Because imagine you have a method and there's like if statements and switch cases. And today it's kind of at least pretty tricky to know the code coverage. You have to run a code coverage tool. Then you're like, all right, did did I test this method or this method? And, And yet it all these unit tests pass and there's code lens now in visual studio. So it'll give you little bubbles over it of if it passed, but the live unit testing literally puts a check mark. If it, if all the unit tests that are covering this line of code are passing or a blue line to say that this line isn't tested by any unit test or a red X, if one of the unit tests has failed and you can hover over them to say, Oh, actually on one of four tests, this line of code failed. And then you can jump right to it. It's like, but it's as you're typing, right? So as you're committing code, it's running those stuff live, which is like mind boggling. (laughs) So from what I'm getting from all this is you are test-driven development person number one now, right? You are starting first there and you are testing every line of code that you write now because of this awesome feature. I wouldn't say that. Uh, I would, I would, I would say that, you know, as developer tools mature, uh, it's really important for me that it 
the tools don't get in my way, but they're complementary mm-hmm. and they kind of encourage me to do stuff. Yeah. Like what's my encouragement today as a solo developer to write a bunch of UI tests or unit tests? <clears throat> encouragement is like, hey, I can make sure that when I ship products, my my stuff doesn't fail. But then the overhead is I got to write all this stuff. So if the yeah. tools kind of hold my hand and walk me through and kind of make it fun almost to unit test, which is something that no one's ever said in their life. If it can do that, then that's cool. Yeah. And I'll even double down on that. Um, I, I would say one of the reasons I actually don't like unit testing is because I'm not getting a great feedback loop. Like, you can do the test-driven development approach, which is you write the code from the outside perspective of, I actually just want to use the code, and you write a test against it, and then you make the code work. That's fun and all, but <laughs> um, it just doesn't work out for me. H- have you even tried it? <laughs> well, I mean, so what doesn't work out for you, I guess, is the question. <laughs> is it because of is it because like hey i'm integrating into this database and then I make okay. this call and i need to mock this thing and then i need to do this thing and got to do this thing yes I, it, it, yes exactly. all of that all of that okay so mm-hmm. so i fail at the test driven development so now my only option now is to test code that i've already written and in this case now we're into a game of um uh you know works on my machine as a developer you know how things kind of always work because you keep doing the same thing over and over you keep actually testing the same code path over and over mm-hmm. and i worry about that with my unit tests themselves like i'm the developer i know how to make this thing work am i really going to test all the failure conditions heck no like i don't want to see it break that's terrible and so like the majority of my unit tests are these positive test cases and i never cover yeah. there cases yeah i think that that is that is my big problem too is that it's like oh i can i can write a unit test and make it pass because i literally know what what this method does because i wrote it (laughs) we're doing test driven development that means that we have written the test that fails first and then we implement the business logic right assuming but you still i for me i tend not to write too many negative tests like Mm -hmm. i've seen some people like to them the negative test is i throw it a null argument does it throw null argument exception but come on that's not like how things actually fail they they fail in much more intricate and deeper twisted ways and so i'm talking about those deep ugly how things fail and so the reason i bring this up though is the code coverage that we were talking about and that is the only honest way to actually do testing i think you absolutely need code coverage and i just haven't had a good code coverage tool so that's my excuse number one like i just haven't had it and now i do it's it's a good excuse i mean if the tools aren't helping you then they're hurting you you know because you're going to waste more time and i think what i do is if i'm a good library creator and like i have one project the mvvm helpers is a great example because this is a good example because it's 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 a just a business logic has nothing to do with the user interface is not in an ios project not in an android project it's just a library which means Hmm. that there are ins and outs and what I've done on this project is probably my best example of being test driven is that if anyone wants to add new functionality, they also have to write a unit test for at least the passing yeah. condition. And then if they fix a bug, they have to also write that thing. Cause to me, that's the important part. The, the successes are not super important. They are, <laughs> but what's more important is that when a failure happens that I write a unit test for that failure. So it doesn't happen again. 
Yes, you are talking about the regression test. And yes. quite quickly, <laughs> any product after version one, yeah, your unit tests quickly turn into regression tests. You're just filling the whole thing up with bug number 12, test that condition, bug number 13, test that condition. And that's what I was saying. Like, at some point, y- unit testing, unit testing, the principle is you have a little a small black box and I test that small black box thoroughly. And if I keep composing things out of thoroughly tested black boxes, then the whole thing is thoroughly tested. But as we all know, that's kind of BS. <laughs> There's so many interactions between things that you really kind of have to test things at multiple levels, high level and low level. Yeah. And so, yeah, you get those. Yeah. And there's some things that are nearly really like are extremely hard to test. I mean, I have a media plugin, which takes photos and and picks photos. Mm. And someone was like, hey, after I take 38 photos on this iPad, uh, my app crashes. And I go, (laughs) all right, I will will (laughs) test that. You know, I usually take a few photos and then I'm done and and then I'm good. Positive test case. (laughs) Positive (laughs) test case. And that's more of my acceptance test because I don't have a unit test for that or a UI (laughs) test. Like I just plug (laughs) in a device and I test it and see if it Mm -hmm. works. Um, And then I try to repo it, repro it, right? And I go, and like the problem is also I can test my my library, but that doesn't mean that your application who's using it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. So I told this developer, I said, strip it down to just the method. Like you have so much junk and so much stuff in your project. <laughs> Is it me? I don't know. Cause I boot up my sample. I took a hundred photos and I recorded yeah. it and put it on YouTube and it worked great. So uh-huh. I don't, you know, I don't know <laughs> what you're doing, but for me, it seems to be working and maybe it's a device thing. And, and that's where things get really tricky. And that's why I, mm-hmm. I think that Test-driven development for a library for me or an API is super easy to do because I want to create a method that does one thing and I know some positives and failures like MVVM helpers. Well, there's this thing should raise a property change notification or this thing should, you know, wait certain seconds or something like that. And that's really testable for me where I have nothing else. Like I don't have anything, no user interface, no anything like that. But when I was at Canon, oh my goodness, we were... (laughs) I'm going to get, I don't want to get into war stories too early, but I will, I will say what, where this becomes <laughs> so a problem easy. is that, um, uh, some war stories from the unit testing battleground. We've um, been around. Oh you so, don't know. So we were trying to, we had upgraded a legacy .NET 1.1 application to .NET 2.0, then to 3.5. And this was a monolithic huge. There was like, I probably talked about a bunch on Merge Conflict is like 20 project or 20 solutions, mm-hmm. each with 20 projects in them. It took like a data build, right? <laughs> and, and it's all super like database focused and printing focused and all this stuff. And it's really complicated. And they're like, you need to start doing code coverage on anything new that you're writing. What I found out is that I was writing more code to mock out things. Like I had to mock out the entire database and I had to mock out like all this stuff because I'm, it's so hard to shoehorn stuff into existing huge legacy applications. I don't know if that's feasible for a solo developer. For me, it's, it's really not. It's like it either works or it doesn't. I can either log in or I can't log in and I'm going to test that every week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're not opening. doing more stories, right? Okay, no. we're not doing. No, we'll save those for a minute. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's always the problem. If if your app wasn't uh, 
written to be testable from the beginning, then good luck because there's going to be tons of crazy interactions between different components and getting that under control is kind of hard. At that point, I mean, you do have some options. You just have to take the testing level, uh, an abstraction level higher. You have to do the testing at the UI level mm-hmm. or um, even at like the file IO, like use Apple script, <laughs> you know, or, or batch files, whatever it takes to uh, script the app to do different things and get the input output. But it's harder to get code coverage with something like that. And it's a pretty terrible thing to say to your boss. I think people want unit tests these days. They want yeah. code to test code. That seems to be. They want, a, they want a percentage and a breakdown of a very nice pie chart of here is the c- total code that has been covered. Mm-hmm. And then you can click on it and see what methods and what lines of code and who wrote what and who broke where. Um, because we all know that code coverage is exactly identical to code quality (laughs) they're the same number (laughs) well i think you had a good point which is you know when we talk about test-driven development or just testing in general you know often developers ask about code coverage and n unit and x unit also i don't really want to get into frameworks because pick your own framework Mm -hmm. i don't don't care oh that's such a fun discussion though but okay we'll we'll abandon it big pick your own framework (laughs) but but i think what you were saying and you actually put on the list and I wasn't even thinking about when I thought about this topic was more of the acceptance criteria or acceptance testing. And I've seen really good like Trello boards essentially of like, here's what this piece of functionality is supposed to do. And if it actually does, and like, here's like how you would use it. And like, this is the output from it. So, Mm -hmm. and when you have that in the app, like, does it do this, which is probably your 99%, you know, there's always going to be edge cases and crashes, but if this is the standard flow that 99% of people will use, you know, this acceptance test, if you will, is is kind of more important than the unit testing. To me, it's more important. Yeah. And actually, the word means multiple things. It's occurring to me as you're using it. Um, it, it can be taken a lot of different ways. I'll talk about one way it started for me, though. We were trying to test an imaging library. And they're just hard to unit test because it's just a bunch of numbers and matrices and like, you know, if I encode an image, then did it come out correctly on the on the disk if I load it back, you know, those kinds of things. And what our testing library eventually came down to was, let's just show a bunch of images uh, to kind of a, a very simple neural network, but something that's just diffing the images to see how much they've changed. And what we would do is anytime we had a new test, they would just generate new images and we'd just go say, yes, these images are good or these images are bad. After that, it would just have a little fuzzy filter on whether it would accept images after that. And I realized it's just kind of a very powerful general purpose tool of if you can't test at the low level nitty gritty, then at least just test the inputs and outputs and ideally in a visual manner, because guess what? Humans are really good at visual differences. So it's real easy to crank through and say, yeah, good, bad, good, bad. This is where like um, UI tests can just become screenshot tests, basically. Yeah, and I actually use UI tests a lot for that. And that, that's totally funny that you were talking about image processing because we also did something very similar at Canon, <laughs> which is that we were doing Wizzy, WYSIWYP is what you see is what you print um, type oh, of thing neat. like for Got CAD. It. Yeah, WYSIWYP, yeah. <laughs> um, and we had, uh, you know, we talked about 3D printing last week, you know, CAD and things like that. Uh, drawings, we would take these AutoCAD files in and some of those are super... Um, thin lines with very specific colors and 
that we did those, but we also would do like beautiful posters and we could print anything on these amazing printers. Uh, the color wave 600 was my favorite. We had toner balls. They were amazing. Nice. Anyways, I digress about my, my, my love and passion for printers, but our, one of our, one of our team members, he was like the low, low level C, C plus plus wizard of mm-hmm. the ins and the outs. You put this in, this is the out. And you had to ensure that the pixels and whatever those were that were coming from the UI, when it fed through his driver, would send to the printer in a very specific way. So those those numbers, those those ones and zeros, if you will, would have lined up perfect with the color matching. So that's what he did. He said, here are the most complicated, crazy, like here's the easy ones, but here's these complicated yeah. prints. And I'm going to ensure that after we run this through, I have an analyzer tool that can run through a folder and in each of those, there's like a, you know, a little file associated with them to, this is what I expect this image pixel analyzer to be. And if anything diverted that wasn't acceptable within a criteria, then boom, it didn't work, but he could press a button mm-hmm. and boom, it was great. And I, I agree with you. I think that's why I like UI testing so much. Um, even if I don't use it as much as I should, <laughs> but for instance, you know, user interface testing on mobile applications is great with something like uh, mobile center or test cloud, because I can write tests in UI to say, tap this button, do this thing. And sure, it'll see if my app can do it, but I can look at a hundred devices, 20 devices, or just a single device and say, is that how I really want it to look? And I can visually do it. Cause I agree with you. I'm super visual. I, that's why bar charts and graphs and code coverage is so intriguing because it's I can see it. I can I can in my mind correlate um, with kind of a high caliber of success that, oh, this UI test look really, really good or this code coverage looks really, really good or why those little check marks, you know, they're they're lighting my my brain up to say like this is exciting and like I'm happy with it. Or yeah, not happy. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, no, you you just got my mind watering a bit to like, um, are we always in test mode? Like, uh, should we always be in test mode with an app? Because I agree to you, those bar charts are enchanting. And I already mentioned the green bars just from unit testing and all that. And, uh, and you can mix all these things like my acceptance tests uh, with n graphics, I'm doing imaging also, and I'm actually have acceptance tests. And you can tell if things change just by seeing if Git noticed that the files changed, you know, when you uh, run the program on them. And so it's all very enchanting and everything. <laughs> but then I, I, I wonder, like, so why don't we do it more? <laughs> Uh, because it's too enchanting (laughs) too hard it sounds awesome the way we're making it sound like geez this is great (laughs) i think that the problem i have is i don't have the time you know when i am given so the evolve conference application last year uh you know we we i built that with pierce he built the back end i built the front end and uh built that in a month in our spare time and mm-hmm. we did have UI tests with it, but our automation team did it. And I would tweak them a little bit, but you know, they, they're like, here's 12 acceptance tests and UI tests that will you know make sure that the app is working correctly. And they set it all up really nice, but it, it took someone else to do that. So if I'm a solo developer, it's, it's a time commitment versus trade-off versus a pretty bar chart. That's what it kind of goes into, but we did have them. Yeah. So that was good. But 
So I've noticed I go through a swing. So when I start a project, I I tend to start at the low level algorithmic part of the project, you know, like the data access and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that part is just perfect for unit tests. And so I actually do kind of put on my TDD hat and pretend I'm a TDD person. And I do a really good job like building kind of like an engine or something like that. But when it comes to the app, that's where I just fall apart. Um, I'm so busy just trying to figure out the UI and having some such a hard time like even just making the UI that writing tests for it's hard and then I run into this problem where I do a lot of gesture based apps so like it's actually doing recognition on the strokes that you're making on the screen like dragging elements in a circuit app selecting wires doing that kind of stuff and our UI test frameworks are nice for buttons and text boxes and things like that but when you start doing intricate things you end up writing quite a large program to test your program and it's it's just such an investment it it is and then it's it's still like i still always recommend it you know it's like yes you should do ui tests and yes you should do unit tests and it's a trade-off so someone asked me they're like well how do i get code coverage on a ui test and i go well that's a that's a loaded question (laughs) tell me me, i want to (laughs) know the loaded question because uh how do you cover all the different use cases and quantify that but then also the outputs like a part of ui testing Mm -hmm. is making sure that it's running on all these devices so you could i guess scrape all the images and then run that through a tool to make sure like things are pixel perfect not a terrible idea but i would (laughs) you could and i think that companies do that actually um Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool because all the images are there every time you snapshot I say to me, sometimes with UI testing, it's not about the code coverage. It's ensuring that the major workflows of your application don't break. (laughs) So, you know, the login, the very first thing that your users do, make sure that you never break that. And if that's the only UI test that you wrote, then you have more UI tests than the majority of mobile applications and you're doing great. You know, actually... Let me, let me comment on that, because that's actually kind of genius, because uh, I'll tell you what, a lot of my bugs I've had in the App Store have been my app literally just doesn't start. Like, they'll get a splash screen, and then it crashes. And it's the most, well, let's just say terrible bug, uh, but also embarrassing, because, oh my god, what did you mess up to screw up, like, initializing the app? What what kind of programmer are you? Um, and even, like you said, even just that one, one UI test that, you know, checks it, maybe running on uh, maybe one of those clouds that runs it on a bunch of devices for you, running that just once a month would probably just save you. Yeah, I have a pretty that. good breakdown of, of all the different services that I'll run through. Uh, but let's first take a, a quick moment to thank our amazing sponsor this week of Merge Conflict yet again the amazing developer conference that I'll be at at a whole bunch this year, Visual Studio Live. They are the development world's trusted educational provider of developer-focused content. They've been around since 1993, so you probably know Visual Studio Live or VS Live, as you'll often uh, hear me um, call it. They're really focused on .NET and Visual Studio, go figure, because, you know, Visual Studio Live. But that spans all different topics, not just .NET and, and desktop, but Xamarin, Azure, .NET Core, ALM, DevOps. Um, but they even sp- you know, put a lot of web content, so Angular, things like that. They cover all topics that a .NET, Microsoft, C-sharp, F-sharp developer would absolutely love. What's really cool that I love about VS Live is that they have conferences that you can attend all throughout the year. So in May, 
It'll be in Austin, Texas. Love Austin. I got family down there, so I love going to that show because I get to visit my family at the same time. They'll be in uh, June uh, in Washington, D.C., August, Redmond, Washington, right here, which is super awesome. Chicago in September, Anaheim in October, and Orlando in November. Now, what's really cool is that any listeners of Merge Conflict can get $400 off their ticket to any of these conferences by going to vslive.com. And when you register, just use coupon code MERGEConflict, all one word. You're going to love it. Take a look at all the different conferences. See what lines up for you. There's amazing speakers. Uh, myself, I'll be there. I'm pretty good. Scott Hanselman, Billy Hollis, uh, Deborah Carada, uh, Nick Landry, uh, Rachel Appel, Laurent Bonyan, a whole bunch of people will be there. It's really awesome. Take a look at vslive.com. And we cannot thank Visual Studio Live enough. So hope to see you at an upcoming conference. Uh, that sounds fun. It's so fun, fun to just nerd out on a specific topic. They are. And this, they have a cool theme. Every year they have a theme. This one is uh, Rock Your Code. So it's a bunch of kind of like, you know, music theme stuff. So they're actually going to a lot of towns oh. with like musical inspiration. Yeah. So that's really cool. Mm. I think Austin should be good. So uh, they're all going to be good. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Are, so can can we tell some more stories now? At least no, I want to tell. Uh, I want I want to tell people this one <laughs> one bit before you go into your worship. Let me let me spruce it up with something really exciting, and then you can just drag it right down, Frank. I'm just kidding. All right, so I won't drag it down. I promise. Yeah, so a little bit, just a little bit. So, <laughs> so you said one UI test to save them all, yeah. and which is a screenshot of your app starting. Now, here's some really cool things. Um, obviously Xamarin, we have the Xamarin test cloud mobile center test is the evolution of that. Um, Amazon has one, um, uh, Google has these device clouds. Uh, you can just run them locally internally. You can just run these UI tests. There's things like Espresso and Calabash and UI. There's all sorts of different testing frameworks that are out there. What's cool though, is that if you just write that, you, that unit UI test, right? That literally takes file at a UI test. You've written one UI test. It just take a screenshot on load. But Mobile Center, Visual Studio Mobile Center, which is like our, you know, Microsoft's like, you know, um, DevOps and analytics and everything for mobile apps. They have a, a check, they like that they made it a radio button or a checkbox or something where it's just like, hey, just run this on a device. Run my app on a device. Every build. Oh. You don't even have to write any code. It just does it. Wait, so, it, it asks for a credit card, I'm sure, though. <laughs> no credit card. It just runs it. Oh, on come a real, on. It, no, just, I, I'm dead serious. It just runs it on a random device. Just anything. Do you get a it, screenshot? You get a screenshot. It's just a app <laughs> launch. That's it. I like how you said random device because immediately I just imagined people at Microsoft, like my app just starts on someone's phone at Microsoft and it takes a screenshot. But I, I assume that they actually just have a warehouse of phones. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been to a house uh, in Denmark where the, the, the test cloud labs are. So uh, it's, it's glorious. So there's all these different devices, but not all of them are being used. So I, I talked to the mobile center team. They just rolled this out recently. And, uh, what they do is they just look at the queue right. So they have like a hundred Nexus fives or whatever, and they'll just run it on yeah. one of those if it's available in a, oh, a screenshot. Test so fast. Yeah. And yeah, there's always got to be the devices no one bothers to test on, and now you actually get to test on them. Yeah, yeah. cool. And then also Google, they have it actually inside the Google um, Play developer portal. It's not obviously a build time, but when you submit your app to like an alpha channel, before you actually give it to people, it will run it through their own little 
automator thing and do screenshots and stuff. I've used it. It takes a little bit of time because they try to poke around at screens and stuff, but like a screenshot test is all you need. So yeah, t- anyways, tell me more about the, the mobile center. I got a couple questions. Um, so do you get a screenshot? Like what happens when you click that button? Yeah. So when you click that button, um, when you go to mobile.azure.com and you set up your app, right? And this could be with every single push of code, for instance. So mm-hmm. you set up your code in the build um, section. You say, I'm going to connect it to this repo. I check the button that does stuff. Uh, essentially, yeah. I'm, I'm trying Magic. to project. There <laughs> we go. So the, the act, so it's called build on push, sign builds, run a launch test on device. Wow. Now the dip, the difference here that this will, it says here takes a screenshot as a basic test on a real device results, results are displayed in the test service. Now, the difference here is that your builds will take longer because it's going to, um, validate and run it, your, your, your app. Um, oh, so who it, cares? You're, yeah. You're not supposed to be sitting around waiting for CI. CI is supposed to run asynchronous in the background, let it do its own thing. And I have That's one here. Totally cool. I have one here. I'm not even going to lie about it. And it is just like you wrote a normal UI test or Calabash test. And it, mine ran on a 6P. Um, it has details. It has device logs. It ran for a second, it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, less than a second. It tells me my memory usage. So, <laughs> one second. Nice. Yeah. So essentially the app startup, like how long it took to get on the device. And boom. Yeah, that was it. That's it. That's now it. That's awesome. I'm assuming then if you add an actual UI test project to your uh, project, <laughs> then it would there'd be some other checkbox you could click that would execute all those. Yeah, exactly. And so that's when you have to give the credit card, probably. That's <laughs> when you have to give the credit card. Yeah. So if you were to do that via like Visual Studio Team Services or Bitrise or Mobile Center, like you would be writing your own UI tests and then shipping it off to Mobile Center Test or Xamarin Test Cloud. Either of those are just API first, so you could just package it up. So if you had a project today oh, I see. and you weren't using mobile center, let's say you're using Bitrise, like Bitrise has a step that is called ship, you know, UI test to test cloud. And then you just pick one device. Like you would pick it instead of it randomly being generated for you, but it's yep. totally possible. Cool. I love that. Um, I will definitely take advantage of that because those those startup crashes are super embarrassing. <laughs> Let's never have those again. <laughs> they are no good. I'm definitely going to put this in the show notes as well. This this nice stuff that we're talking about. But yeah. go for it, Frank. War stories. Hit, lay them on. Oh me. no, lay we're we're, we're so positive here. I do, I don't even want to back us down now. But I, I we think, were t- yeah. <laughs> we I were talking about tooling. And I had to mention this one time where um, I didn't actually have any tooling. It was my first exposure to unit testing, actually. And it was quite a trip. So I just have to describe it. I was handed a binder full of printed out pages. And on each page was a function name, the inputs to the functions, and the expected outputs of the functions. I was given another binder of all the source code. And I had to by hand go through, read every function, and trace it out by hand in my head or using a calculator, whatever I wanted to use, but not a computer, importantly, not a computer, and see if the outputs in the binder matched what I found. I was the second level of test. Someone actually sat there and created this giant binder of all these unit tests and I think did it by hand also. (laughs) So this is my first exposure to unit testing. And you would think that it would completely put me off from it. But like, by the end of the project, I really appreciate it. I'm like, wow, we have really tested this thing inside and out. But oh my god, we did it in such a ridiculous manner. (laughs) 
however you get there, I say we at uh, at Canon, we were doing all this printer software, we had all these ins and outs, but the UI was really complicated. They went through so many test automators. I can't even, uh, I was there for four years. We must have yeah. like 20 test automators. They all came in. They said, I'm a test automation expert. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure you are. Yeah. And yep. they would try to do all these tools and all these automation stuff. And you know what they ended up using at the end of the day was some, I think it was HP or something that did coordinate based clicking. This is desktop software. So they're like, we're always this machine here with this monitor, with this resolution <laughs> will always be the same, which is like super fragile, you know, doing yeah. coordinate. That's why UI testing is ID based, but they just never could connect with development so much to actually get it to work. But they wrote out this big test suite and they had all, they had like five people that would like, every time we made a big change, like they would run these tests. Like, did we change it? Did we modify stuff? And at some point we, we got into the uh, state of mind to make sure that we told them when we were changing the UI, um, but it's kind of kind of like almost end of lifeing the project. So it was kind of like <laughs> just bug fixes at that point, no yeah. new feature. So that makes it a little bit easier. But yeah, I, I've run into this myself before and it actually got me stuck into a mode where I was really against automated tests just because I had seen it gone go wrong so poorly. So in our scenario, um, we'd worked really hard to create all these automated tests. There were whole sets of programmers working on them, but the problem was they were very fragile. They would give a lot of false positives. Oh God, I always get these backwards. (laughs) They would fail when actually things were okay. And yeah, usually not the reverse of that. It was just a lot of false positives. And what it got to be was you'd be running your tests and you would see, well, 78% success. Is that good? Well, last time we ran it, it was 77% success. So now I guess it's worse. And then, but there are so many failing cases, you can't get through it. You can't actually identify the bug. And so I I got a real bad taste in my mouth uh, from our failed attempts at automated testing there. And I actually just started to believe like the only way to test an app is manual testing. It's the only true way. Everything else is kind of BS, but I think there has to be um, a a middle ground, you know, left versus right. There's got to be something in between that's best. Yeah, it's hard. I think that, you know, all when people ask me like, oh, should I test? It's like, yeah, of course you should attest. And all parts of testing are important because if you start testing, if you just only rely on, you know, business logic tests, then, well, you're assuming that all of your UI is correct. And also that (laughs) your users are going to use it exactly how you programmed it, which is not necessarily correct. So we, and it gets even complicated when you think about if you, uh, you know, I have, uh, I, I knew, like, it was funny cause I was doing the step counter application and I didn't have very many tests or anything like that, but I, I knew a, a acceptance test or a, not even acceptance, test, but a real world test that would fail, which hmm. is that I was saving date timestamps just by local. Don't, don't, oh, yell at me. no, don't, don't, don't do uh, that. <laughs> well, you know, cause it was like, Hey, you're, you're doing this locally. So it was by the day. So let's say you're in the, in the, let's say you're on the East coast and it's and it's Friday, and then you go to Seattle, and it's still Friday, even though it's later at night there. Well, you still get steps for 
that yeah. day because it's that day. That was the idea it of the day. It is a tricky problem because it's a very human problem. So you got to resolve what do people expect, not does what do the gods and time lords <laughs> create uh, the yeah, universe yeah. to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what does um? Yeah. Exactly. What does John Skeet with his time zone right. note of time thing that we should do? <laughs> That's what I meant by God. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we'll put note of time in there because it's super good. Uh, and. Uh, what I realized is that it's a super minimal edge case and I've run into it myself where I would leave mm-hmm. Europe and my phone, like it's in airplane mode, so it can't get a new time. So when I land the plane, a few steps may be registered before it can update. So there's things that were like are registering in the future and then yeah, all of a sudden in the past. Thinking- Mm, it's very I bet you that's an actual easy test case. You just need to fly more to do it. Manual testing, exactly. you know, write it off I, as a business expense. I think for an app that I made zero money on, uh, <laughs> that I, I well, it's it totally up. an expense then. It's totally an expense. So that was something cool. But also, just think about like, hey, you know, does this thing work in another time zone? So right. when we talk about UI testing, also some of these services like Test Cloud, I'm pretty sure you can mock your location. So just be, and you can say, oh, I'm in. Germany or I'm in or it's in all house, yeah. right? So literally, does it work on GMT or whatever, you know, UTC time, like test that stuff out. It's other those acceptance tests, like make sure that, yeah, when I say it's logging on Tuesday in Denmark, that it actually logs on Tuesday in Denmark and not some other crazy time. So wow. <laughs> that would be important. <laughs> you just reminded me we have to do a whole episode on localization now. It's such oh. a fun topic. Let's <laughs> not. Let's <laughs> let's skip that. Let's get out of there immediately. You want to do some listener feedback? Yes, I absolutely do. Let's do it. Oh my goodness, uh, we have some really great feedback uh, this week uh, from our listeners, not only on Twitter but via email and via the MergeConflict.fm. This is a fun one. Uh, Vince wrote in. This was on episode thirty-eight. One library to rule them all. .NET Standard. <laughs> he says, "Hey guys, I love the show." Thank you. It's nice to finally listen to a podcast, uh, which is aimed at developers. I'm not sure if it was this episode, but there was a comment regarding uh, dependencies and how it could be a pain copying code across or using submodules. So like I use submodules all the time and, and you use some and it's kind of a pain or copying code files. He said, uh, I'm not sure if you heard of Packet, which is a dependency manager, mm-hmm. kind of like NuGet, mm-hmm. yeah. but it actually lets you use source code such as GitHub GIS as dependencies. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it, but I've never used it. Oh, yeah. It's quite big in the F-sharp community. They've quite embraced it. I don't know any serious F-sharp programmer who doesn't, well, A, know of it, but probably use it at the same time. And what it is, it's basically a good version of NuGet. <laughs> and like they <laughs> said, so you can, you can you just lay out all your dependencies in one of these packet files, just like, you know, we all love configuration files now. So just add one more to it, a packet file, and list out all your dependencies. And like they said, uh, the neat thing is you can directly reference source code on GitHub. You can point it at any old random HTTP. So, you know, whatever it takes basically to build your app. And and yeah, it's basically super awesome. The end. <laughs> I, need to, I need to test it out because it's not the first time that someone has told me to check it out. So I do yeah. need to do it. I'm just a little I, lazy. I don't use it a lot because, um, for instance, Xamarin Studio doesn't come with it already integrated into it, like the GUI. Like New gets mm-hmm. built into it very nicely, but Packet doesn't get the same kind of love. But if you're at all con- comfortable editing a configuration file and running something on the command line from time to time, it's no problem for you. That said, they also do have add-ins, so look out for those. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah, that'd be 
cool to check out, just like a lot of these testing frameworks like NUnit and XUnit and all this stuff have plugins to, even though MS test is built in, but you know, you got to look out and kind of pick one that works for you. Interesting. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. We had, um, thanks for that suggestion. Yep. That's yeah. a good one. That's a good one. Uh, also, it looks like you, <laughs> Frank, had a lot of <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> had a lot of conversations about episode forty, which is our lightning talks, which we did answer the number one question that everyone has asked us, which is, what type of development machine should I actually oh, buy? God. <laughs> and uh, grown. <laughs> and uh, the most powerful thing that you can possibly do. So yes. Sven, <laughs> Sven says, um, he goes, you forgot to mention a beautiful 240 hertz monitor to get that smooth cursor blinking. Yeah, I, I just assumed that was like assumed. That's that's eh, important. I mean, not for me. You know, here's the, <laughs> everyone. Uh, I was I was in this predicament recently because when I started uh, working at home again, I wanted to have a multiple screen setup and all this stuff. And for a while, I was just using my Surface Book with another monitor, like a, uh, just another monitor. And yeah. I just wanted to dock it, like have a dock and have multiple monitors. And uh, I just bought a very, I bought an Asus 1080p monitor. I can put the one specifically I have. It's about 23 inch, so it's not too big, but it's 1080p, which is not mind blowing. It's not 4K. It's probably like 120 mm-hmm. hertz. I don't even know what it is. It's HD, <laughs> but it has HDMI, Display Port. It has like DVI, VG. It has everything. Uh, and it uh, all the ports. <laughs> rotates vertically, horizontal, up and down. So, because yeah. there's there's the the like high end 4K, they're like this 4K monitor's 250 bucks, like awesome, but it doesn't do anything. Like it just sits there mm-hmm. and you can't adjust it. So I went for flexibility, and my eyes aren't very good. So I don't. I actually pump up the resolution at 200 <laughs> percent, like nice. you know, nice. on these things. <laughs> and uh, I'm just yeah, at 1080p, yeah. and I present in 1080p uh, at conferences, so it helps me a lot. And I. I code really big. I have a hard time with small fonts um, in my phone. Actually, my favorite feature of the iPhone, uh, which does it way better than Android, is that bigger font thing or slider, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm like, a, uh, I'm not as bad as some people I've seen on the bus, which is like at 180% on your phone. But I do one bump up because I just can't have a hard time seeing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at us old men. I, I'm right there with you. I, I I use a higher res screen, but that's just because I like higher res. Always a junkie for that. But I have my font scaled up 200%, just like you. So I get the smoothest curved little fonts on beautiful oh, yeah. rendering. And from a typography nerd, it just looks really good. Uh, yeah. I know some people are actually sensitive to the frequencies, but I think once you got past 120 hertz, I don't think anyone notices. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, choose what's best for you, whatever you want, super super great I, I go for flexibility of the monitor um yeah. thomas says though that he recently upgraded this is a follow-up to this because you were you know doing <laughs> this. he said he recently upgraded his machine to a, a 4.9 gigahertz i don't know what it is some sort of processor with an m2 raid of ssds which is crazy <laughs> he said that it, i don't it even know what like, that means <laughs> i have no idea what that means it, i don't know what the it's good it's good thumbs up <laughs> that's a lot of gigahertz um in there he said, he said that it wasn't giving him a hu- huge advantage and mostly uh-huh. Looked like the SSDs were sitting around. Well, yeah, the SSDs are just going to give your reads and writes really fast of what you're doing, but mm. it might just be sitting in LLVM compilation. I don't know. Yeah, but you know what? With compilation, uh, the old rule of thumb was it was I.O. bound. So it's possible that these drives are actually that ridiculously fast that we're finally getting a CPU bound LLVM. But traditionally, uh, most compilation is uh, I.O. 
So anytime you can speed up the front side bus or whatever, the North Bridge, whatever the heck they call it now in PCs, um, whatever that is, get the megahertz up there, <laughs> spend all your money. Um, <laughs> now, but he mentioned that uh, it didn't make a big difference, which is kind of sad. Um, I know there are system trace tools you can get that'll tell you exactly how much time you're spending in each system call. And if you really, really desperately want all the performance, then you can go looking through those logs and try to figure out what your bottleneck is yeah i just say buy keep keep buying put put more more jigs of, jigs of <laughs> more there. money that's all it takes no. <laughs> until you're happy so, just keep spending yeah basically there you go nah uh, yeah so you can reach merge conflict and us in any way you can find frank at proclare me at james montemagno and the show at merge conflict fm you can of course give us feedback in multiple ways reach out to us on twitter just like that you can contact us uh via email just go to mergeconflict.fm. there's a little email button boom you can leave a comment on any of the shows and of course we would love it if you would leave us an amazing glorious review on itunes or if you're using overcast which i know many of our listeners are because i think it may be more popular than the actual um apple app for for listening to merge conflict Ooh, fantastic yes i've been looking at statistics and doing good i love the overcast uh hit Keep that little third star party button. people yeah third party i love it um yeah help help out those amazing devs hit that little star button recommend it to your friends and with that i think that's about it frank anything else from you no, I'm glad we finally did the TD, the test episode and TDD episode. We, we'd been putting it off for a while. We both groaned every time we tried it, but glad we got through it. <laughs> we, we did it. We did it. Well, in Texas, until next time, this is Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>